Hey everyone, welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are going to talk about how to work with clients who are recovering from substance use disorders. And I have um, a female powerhouse on today who I've had on before, and she is Nicole Golden. And she developed a course called the Drug and Alcohol Fitness Specialist Course, specifically to help us as personal trainers and group fitness instructors, again, work with those clients who are recovering from substance use disorders. And with the, you know, with all of the substance use disorders that we know of out in our world today, I am supercharged that I get to have Nicole on here today to talk about this because it is a really powerful topic. So Nicole, let's bring you on and let you introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Um, My name is Nicole Golden. I am the owner of FWF Wellness in Sayre, Pennsylvania, a little town in the middle of nowhere. I'd be surprised (laughs) if you heard of it. And I am the developer of the MedFit uh, Education Foundation course, to drug, the uh, Drug and Alcohol Recovery Fitness Specialist, which covers uh, 12 hours worth of content, helping you guys be like really, really prepared to work with this population. All right. Fantastic. And it is a really powerful topic, um, Nicole. And I'm just, I would love to know what got you interested in this. I feel like we're drawn to things or things draw us in for certain reasons. What made you want to develop a course specifically working with this population? So I talk about this a bit in the course in first module. Um, My father lost his battle to substance use disorder in 2018 and it has always been an issue near and dear to my heart. My uh, sister, my mother, my father, my entire family suffered with substance use disorders. And I was stayed away from it. But um, in 2016, when I was working at a local YMCA, I was asked to teach a like a fitness class at a drug and alcohol rehab center. And every other instructor said, no, I'm not going there. That's scary. I don't know what to do. And I said, I'm going to do this because something really called me to it. Obviously a lot of my background and I went, and when I walked into that first class, I was like a deer in headlights. I knew not anything, what what to do. I had to rely very heavily on just in general, what I knew about exercise physiology and what I learned from NASM. And after a while, kind of started to figure it out, be able to apply those principles and developed an entire wellness program that we did. And we still continue on today where um, we have like several classes a week. But when in my five years of experience in working with this population, I thought, what if there was a course that could Mm -hmm. teach fitness instructors to really work with them? And I'll tell you, it is one of the most rewarding populations to work with. You really do become part of their recovery. Yeah. You know what? Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. And I'm really sorry to hear that he did lose his battle. And I I commend you for having the courage to share that. I have a, a family member right now losing her battle with substance use disorder, um, alcohol in particular. And it's been going on for a long time. And I know that it tends to, it doesn't just affect that member of the family, it affects the whole family. And when one person is struggling, the whole family struggles. And so everyone needs tools because I think that most families, if you have a big enough family, you've seen different disorders in your family, whether that is mental health disorders or substance use disorders. 
And so again, I commend you for the courage to share that, but also to develop this program and how very, um, how very rewarding that you were tapped on the shoulder to teach this. And so you had five years experience before you even developed the program. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of personal experience having family members, but also working with people. And I find, I don't know about you, but I find that what we, me working in mental health and in fitness, the tools that I use to work with my clients don't seem to work as well with personal family members. (laughs) Have you found that to be true? That's absolutely the case. And I I think that's true of any discipline where family members, they're so close to you, they don't often take your advice because you're not a paid professional. Yes. But um, it is, like I said, extremely rewarding. Some of the counselors at the drug rehab center would say, um, this is the only time these people smile is when you guys come in to teach these classes. Fantastic. So let's start to deep dive into that because I think that the application is what everyone goes toward. You've obviously developed a program with the science and the theory, and I'm sure a lot of evidence-based articles and information to back it all up. But let's talk about, so you developed this program. And from what I understand, this program helps trainers and instructors work with clients who are recovering from substance use, including alcohol, but also including opiate opiate addiction and also stimulants. And so that's a big trifecta right there. And uh, it's interesting. I was just, we just finished the series Dope Sick with Michael Keaton, and it talked about the OxyContin crisis and the opioid, uh, you know, the huge uh, addiction crisis with opioids. And I know it's kicking back up again. And so which, what do you want to start with first? I was thinking training considerations, either with alcohol or with opiate or with, um, you know, stimulants. Where, where do you want to start? I'm going to go where you go. We can definitely start with opiates. I will tell you that some of the more challenging clients to work with from a personal trainer's perspective are ones who are opiate users. It's a couple reasons for that. Because opiates generally tend to be depressants, what they also tend to do is lower a person's pain threshold. So when they're exercising, they tend to fatigue very, very quickly. You also have more significant delayed onset muscle soreness and very, very low motivation to exercise sometimes because that feeling of pushing yourself and working hard can actually be quite painful for individuals who are recovering from opiates. It's also sort of important to point out that this could be lifelong. This is not necessarily just in the detox period, but any client with a history of opiate use can have low pain thresholds, need a lot of extra motivation and anything that's going to cause really significant delayed onset muscle soreness, you should really use a lot of caution. So you're saying that even when they're no longer using opiates, that it's still that that stays with them, that lowering of the pain, you know, not having a higher tolerance for pain and less motivation, more inclined toward depressive episodes, that type of thing. Correct. And that's something that you really have to bear in mind when designing programming for them. And I could tell when I was at the rehab and I'd be working with, let's say, a class, I might have 20 or 30 people, I could pretty easily pick out the ones that were recovering from opiate use just because they'd make it through just a couple minutes. They'd tire out really, really quickly. They were kind of like, oh, I'm so tired. This is so hard. Those clients, though, if you motivate them properly, can do quite well, but you really almost have to remind them every 30 seconds, okay, guys, just one more minute, just get through this warm up and we'll see what happens. They need that coaching just 
very, very frequent coaching. Yeah. And so, well, first I want to reset here for a minute, Nicole, I just want to reintroduce you. I'm talking to Nicole Golden and we are talking about working with clients who have struggled with substance use disorders, opiate addiction, um, also um, stimulants and alcohol. And Nicole developed a course specifically to help trainers and instructors do this, a drug and alcohol recovery fitness specialist course. So um, would it be fair to say then, Nicole, that as a general rule, when you're when you're working with those who are recovering from opioid addiction, that less is more, you know, small doses and constant, constant reinforcement because they do fatigue easily, their mind and their body. They're just, yeah, they're, that makes a lot of sense. And that's something even, I have a client that I work with an athlete right now who has been clean for several years and we still run into this with training. And for athletes, it's more challenging because you really have to push them a little bit harder than just general population and their training has to be very specific. So we have to, lots of breaks, take it slow, uh, lower intensity than you usually would do, even for an athlete. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I, I don't know, and maybe you can, you can help everybody with this a little bit is, is adding an element of humanity to this, because even in the reason why I brought up the TV series Dope Sick is because it added a lot of humanity to opioid addiction. And it talked about how, um, well, obviously what happened with that particular drug, but how a lot of times it starts with prescription medication and, um, and it, it come, we, it, it happens to the brain and the body and there is there's changes that happen that aren't um, buying drugs off the street. And so it can happen to anybody across all socioeconomic statuses. And I think that that's something really important to keep in mind is that it's not something that happens to other people, right? Actually, most of the clients I've worked with that have developed opiate addiction, it started with a surgery. It'll start mm -hmm. with, I had a particular client who was actually was interviewed in the course, if you decide to sign up for the course. And she described to me how she had surgery on her spine as a teenager. And when she got the drugs the, the pain, for pain relief, she just kept taking them and realized they made her feel really good and went from that eventually to heroin addiction because it was too expensive to upkeep the pills. And so she said that you don't even realize how far down the rabbit hole you are until you're getting into a car accident or you're selling drugs out of the back of your car with your kids in it or you're overdosing and she said it really just started with a surgery so you may see this um gastric bypass patients that's something you really have to watch out for with them as well i've seen a couple of them we actually had one interviewed in the course that had passed away and her addiction started with a gastric bypass yeah. And it's really, and I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that that's really worth noting for all of us so that we come less from a place of judgment or, you know, the whole, it would never happen to me and more from a place of compassion and understanding. Cause I think we really have to have that to work with any type of population who is, is struggling with something very unique. And so, um, I'm glad that you mentioned that surgeries and I, having come from a family with where there is addiction is a massive problem among a, a healthy majority in my family. I, in particular, am extremely gun shy of any type of medication that gets past my way for that very reason. And so, um, so Nicole, let's, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, told us a little bit about those who struggle with opioid addiction. Tell us a little bit about some training considerations for say, um, alcohol abuse, or unless there's more that you want to say about opioids. And if there's more kind of tips that you would think that we should know. 
like I said, the most important tips with the opioid, I think we went over them. Um, alcoholism causes a whole nother set of issues and you're actually going to see more things closer to detox than you will with opiates. Alcohol is the most dangerous of all of the drugs. And I know we don't think about it because it's legal. A lot of people drink, but if somebody is truly addicted and end up, ends up with delirium tremens when they're detoxing, it can actually kill them. So some of the interesting things during the pandemic where people were complaining, oh, the gyms are closed, but the liquor store is open. That's because sometimes if people don't have the alcohol, they can actually die. The detox can be very, very dangerous if not done under supervision. So that's something to point out when you're getting those clients, you know, making sure that they're safe to exercise. The other thing are um, brain like damage considerations. You'll see clients with pretty significant balance and coordination problems in the first three months coming off of alcohol. That will get a little bit better over time, but that's something to watch out for in your programming because they actually can be a fall risk. Okay. So balance of coordination. Have you found a lot of clients with tremors, um, yes. kind of tremors from Alkia? So, um, you know, Nicole, I'm curious too, in line with all of this, have you found that those, because I find that more and more and more we are, I mean, NASM just developed a wellness coaching course. And so for many, many, many years, I've been in mental health and in fitness. And it seems like before there was just this big bridge that did not connect mental health and fitness. I mean, we were always going to separate the emotional body from the physical body and it never made sense to me. Well, now more and more, we are connecting these two bodies and there are, there's so much crossover. I mean, we're used to working with um, clients uh, when they go to physical therapy and we're used to working with their doctors, but how about how has it been to break into this space that is usually reserved for a more clinical setting? It's actually something, it's interesting that you bring that up. It's difficult at times to get the clinical staff to see fitness and exercise as part of a treatment program. Yes. Um, that's, that's a huge, huge barrier is getting that buy-in, but research really, really supports the mental health, like importance on the mental health of people recovering from substance use disorder and physical health and well-being as they recover and having exercise and fitness as part of a program is a struggle that we're dealing with right now, um, trying to have it more accepted as standard practice. Yeah. And I really wanted to bring that up because I work on the clinical side and I don't want to call anyone out, but at the same time, I know that there is a big gap. And I, like I said, I feel like there's always been a big bridge that separates the two. And so I think that you having these, this evidence-based program and being able to show them the science and the research and being able to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not getting in on the clinical side. I'm getting in on the health and wellness side. And I have these protocols that can help your clients recover more expeditiously and in a healthier way. Absolutely. So, so is there anything else about working with those with, um, alcohol abuse and yes. Um, what you need to do as a trainer, like I said, because you can see pretty significant issues with balance and coordination, but you also may see nutritional issues. If you, it, we discuss a lot of this in the course that there can be pretty significant problems with glucose tolerance and vitamin deficiencies are a major one, especially the B vitamins. So with all of that being said, your client should be also seeing a registered dietitian. And of course, we'll talk more about that when we get to scope of practice, but also understanding that you probably need to reassess them every like two weeks. I know typically I'm not sure what most personal trainers do. I 
if I have a client that's just a general client, I might reassess their movement patterns, do an overhead squat assessment, just quick screenings every month or so. But in this population, it has to be a lot more frequent just because okay. it'll change so quickly. Like their, their balance and coordination will get better. You really have to watch for their training adaptations because a lot happens in those first few months. Well, of course. And when you're, when you're getting their vitamin levels back to normal and their nutritional levels, re when those nutritional considerations become, they get somebody to work with them and they get back to a healthy state, then obviously, hopefully their balance does improve. So, um, you know, with all the impact on the kidneys and the liver, it, there, there has to, I'm glad that you brought that up working with a nutritionist. So again, I'm talking to uh, Nicole Golden and she has developed a program for trainers and instructors called the, um, drug and alcohol recovery fitness specialist course, um, which you can get through MedFit, but it's a great course. And it's the first time that I've heard of somebody developing a course for trainers and instructors specifically to deal with clients who have substance use disorders from alcohol to opioid to stimulants. So thanks again, Nicole. This is a really, I think this is a really powerful conversation. So how about um, stimulant? Because I feel like we hear so much about opioid addiction and alcohol is all over, but what about stimulant? The funny thing about stimulants is you don't have the same type of physiological, like long-term physiologic problems. The mm -hmm. one risk you have with stimulants are cardiac issues. So when you get a client that you know has a history of this or they're, you're at a rehab and you're teaching, please make sure that they are cleared for exercise because they can't, they are the, the subgroup that could have a sudden heart attack. You hear a lot about that. People who use a lot of cocaine suddenly have a heart attack and die in their thirties. So that's something to definitely watch for, especially with high intensity exercise. On the flip side, every time I walked into the rehab to teach a class, these were definitely the cheerleaders. They definitely were more willing to go hard and they were excited and you can kind of tell they were your, mm, I'm going to get my workout in. So we don't see as much though long-term with them, minus some of the cardiac issues. I did have a client that had endocarditis. Uh, from stimulant use, a lot of crack cocaine, I believe she was using, but that's, so that's something to watch for. But other than that, they don't have the same sort of balance problems. The detox doesn't come with the vomiting and all the physiologic symptoms. They mainly end up binge eating, especially a lot of sugar. It can, the detox period, they will very much be looking for any energy source. So eating a lot, a lot of sugar and a lot of depressive episodes are common when they're in recovery. But long term, they tend to mostly do pretty well if they stay off of the drugs. Yeah, yeah. These are so helpful. I mean, this is this is really helpful. And it's interesting to hear you talk about this. Um, and you know, I have a question. You in your in your I was looking at your course outline for your program, and you talked about training considerations, but you also talked about how does um, you know, where does it begin? So you mentioned a little bit on how opioid addiction begins, and that is a lot of times it's post-surgery. It happens to all, you know, it, it's in our everyday world. Again, it crosses all socioeconomic boundaries and it, it can impact anybody at any time. And so what about alcohol? How do you think the journey into that um, going from use to abuse? Some of it, believe it or not, people have a predisposition. So sometimes people, and you know this, I'm sure working in mental health that you see this a lot there. We do believe that there is a genetic predisposition where people can be more, have more tendency towards addiction. 
a lot of the time though, and you'll find this with most people with substance use disorders, there is a mental health comorbidity. So they'll either have, you know, anxiety, depression. Um, I've seen clients with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. So some of that is self-medicating, but some of it also comes from trauma. A lot of these clients have had pretty significant traumatic experiences and use substance to cope with those traumatic experiences. And that's almost universal. Yeah. And when the substance use disorders kick into high gear, more trauma is even created because decisions that work on people's best interests are not made when we're under the influence. And so often it leads to compounded trauma. Um, and so um, how about anything else you want to say about like origination of substance use disorders? Um, say, you know, is it kind of the same for stimulants, do you think, as it is for alcohol or and a lot of it, again, mental health comorbidities and trauma. Stimulants, interestingly enough, sometimes you'll have people that will become addicted because they're trying to stay up to study, or these are highly productive people that mm. will be using stimulants to help. The interesting thing to point out about stimulants is you can become addicted on your first usage. This is not the case with other drugs. It's not the same. There are like imprinting that goes on in the brain that creates very strong memories of euphoria which can highly, highly reinforce the use of stimulants. So sometimes even if somebody is at a party, somebody gives them some cocaine to try, that can actually start the addiction right away. Mm. I'm curious, where does Adderall fall in that? Or some of those other um, that are highly prescribed to uh, not just kids, but as students go to college. I know that even watching that journey with a lot of college students, when I taught college students and also having had two daughters who went to college, uh, the significant amount of kids who I knew who were, you know, it was very beneficial for staying up late and long nights of studying and um, not hard to get a prescription for. And people can have, I'm not, I don't know a hundred percent what the physiologic addictive properties of Adderall are, but we definitely have seen people abuse that. And that's why in the course we talk about abuse of illegal stimulants because a lot of it has to do with more of these drugs that are illegal. We don't talk as much as far as stimulants are concerned with prescriptions, but that can definitely be a problem. Yeah, I was just wondering if there was if that was addressed in your course or if you found much research on that because I I can't say that I know any research on it. I was picking your brain, so yeah. um, so you know, Nicole. It, when you journeyed into this, then it sounds like it, you came by it organically. You were tapped on the shoulder to teach this class at the Y. Is that correct? At the Y? It was a, it was a program through the local YMCA where we would go on site to a drug and alcohol rehab facility. Okay, perfect. So if you, outside of taking your course so that trainers can understand, well, Actually, let me pivot for a minute. Tell us a little bit about scope of practice because I feel like you really want to go there and I kind of want you to go there too because I want to make sure that I think it's a huge one anytime we're talking about something that could be a very clinical topic. Tell us a little bit about scope of practice. So with, with scope of practice, it's very tempting to be the therapist or to want to be the dietitian, but you have to understand that substance use disorders are treated with a very multidisciplinary approach. So it's really important we all sort of stay in our lane and we talk a lot about scope of practice in the course. They will tell you things, at least in my experience, that you will be a little shocked, not know what to do with, maybe 
they, uh, I remember one of my instructors said that someone had come up to her and said she was being abused by her boyfriend and didn't want to go home. So things like that, we're really not qualified to deal with. So it's really important that we understand what the role of the counselor is, what's the role of a psychologist, what's the role of a dietitian, and what's the role of their, and you need to be able to direct the client to the proper channel to deal with whatever issue they're having. Yeah. And, you know, do you, I'm wondering, do you offer any kind of hands-on specific types of, this is how you respond to this? Like if somebody says, my boyfriend is abusing me, I don't want to go home. Um, is there kind of a, a step-by-step guide to being able to show empathy and be present in the moment, but not invite, this is how you're going to manage it? Yes, we actually talk about specific examples. A lot of it is our collective experience in the course that discuss what we do in those cases and what types of questions are appropriate for their sponsors and what types of questions are appropriate for a counselor. Obviously, with this particular case, we sent them right to one of their counselors because this was a patient in the rehab center. Um, the other thing that we have everybody in the course do is actually attend NA and AA meetings so you can see firsthand what's happening so you can really understand what the treatment looks like and sort of get to know a lot of the people in your community who are dealing with substance use disorder. Okay. All right. I think there's a, you know, there's one more thing I'd really love to ask you, Nicole, and it's, it's kind of, I don't know that it's a, it's a general question, but I think it's kind of like, you know, when you talk about a discipline in general, you can teach somebody to dance, but you can't teach them how to perform. In other words, you can teach them the technique. I think that a lot of times in working with clients, whether it is in a clinical setting or whether it's like this, we can teach all the science, but we can't teach empathy. <laughs> so um, I would imagine that you and all of those who go into developing an expertise and creating a niche in this area, I would imagine that a tremendous level of empathy and understanding would be in order. What do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. You definitely have to have a huge amount of empathy to work with this population. These are not the clients that you're going to, that are going to be hitting PRs every week and are really dedicated to their nutrition plans and doing everything you say. These are people that require high, high level coaching skills. It is very rewarding. You can really help them. You make a huge difference in their life, but a lot of patience and a lot of empathy are going to be needed for your clients. Mm -hmm. And it can be emotionally exhausting. Mm -hmm. This, you know, I would venture to say that if I was going to work with these types of clients in a health and fitness setting, I would maybe want to consider balancing that out with working with other clients. Because if you're only working with those with substance use disorders, it is important to know what your limits are emotionally. You know, how much bandwidth do you have to be able to offer? And can you make sure that you're taking good care of yourself and creating good, healthy boundaries? Absolutely. And, and then that's important, I think, for a lot of us that are personal trainers in general, even if we have a specialty in something, seeing a wider variety of clients is helpful for and also helps us acquire new skills. Mm -hmm. But yes, it does get emotionally exhausting. That is something that you have to watch for and, and watch for that you don't become burned out as a trainer. Yeah. Well, you know what, Nicole, I really appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing this because I, I am... Yeah, I think this was an amazing journey for you. And I hope that it um, offered some healing for you and also just an opportunity to help others work with this population because it is such 
a, a big need in our industry. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to share um, that maybe I didn't ask you about or that you want to cover about this course? I, I really do feel like it was five years of collective experience. It's not just me, but a lot of the staff here at FWF helped to develop the course since all of us were sort of in this together. Um, just bear in mind, be judgment free as much as you can, have a high level of empathy, but just know that if you choose to work with this population, it is probably one of the most rewarding populations that I've worked with in my career. Fantastic. And I think that says a lot because you've had a very colorful career. So um, thank you again, Nicole. So you can look up Nicole's course. It's at MedFit and it's called Drug and Alcohol Recovery Fitness Specialist course, correct? Correct. Okay. So thanks again, Nicole, for coming on. I hope this was really, really helpful to our NASM and APA family. You can always reach out to Nicole with any specific questions, but um, thank you all for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.